Welcome to Enterprising Mindsets, a podcast series exploring what an enterprising mindset is and how it can help us to live, learn and ultimately lead in the future. Hello, I'm Sharon Davis, Chief Executive of Young Enterprise, a national enterprise and financial education charity. You can get the latest episodes straight to your device via subscribing through your usual podcast service. I am so looking forward to interviewing my next guest, Musin Ismail. Musin's the founding principal of the Newham Collegiate Sixth Form, which was set up in 2014 to improve social mobility for some of the most disadvantaged young people in London. Prior to that, he qualified and worked as a banking and finance solicitor for a well-known international firm where he says he saw firsthand the disparity in educational opportunity between his own state school and his more privileged peers who attended a fee-paying school. Musin's going to join us on a slightly crackly line. Musin, I've got so many things I want to talk to you about. Hi, Musin. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a, it's a real privilege to be talking about a topic that's close to my heart. It's brilliant. I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but so let's get straight into it. First of all, tell me what led you to make such a big change in your career from a successful lawyer to becoming that founding principal? Uh, I think it was just, as you said at the start in your intro, recognising that when I got to uh, a city law firm, that the education that I had was completely different to the ones that my more privileged peers had. And even though I had strong academics, went to a really good university, and somehow, quite luckily, I think, made it into an international law firm, I, I just felt as though there was a significant gap. And you don't really recognise that because when you're in school with your peers, you you, know, you, you judge yourself by what's, what's around you. And um, I thought at that stage that there, there really needed to be a drastic change in the educational landscape but specifically for the young people that were in the community that I, that I grew up in and I continue to continue to serve and, and live in. And so tell us a little bit about, about the work of, of NCS. Our aim is to take talented young people in Newham and give them an educational opportunity that is akin to some of the best independent and private schools in the country with the aim of sending them to the best universities in the UK, uh, but also uh, seeing if we can get them into other elite really universities uh, around the world. So, you know, the press coverage more recently has been about the four students who've secured five uh, Ivy League offers to Harvard, Princeton. And once I recognise that MIT is not an Ivy League, it's just easier to say Ivy League because everyone recognises it as such. And on four scholarships of $320,000. Uh, and I remember in 2014 when I was um, doing, the, doing the rounds in assemblies trying to persuade students to join me, that one of the aims that I had was to uh, get students into an Ivy League university or MIT. And I could see the look on the students' faces uh, and also the teachers uh, that has never happened and it's highly unlikely it's going to happen. But I, I never had a shred of doubt that, um, that the young people in Europe, they were given the right opportunity. They had adults who actually believed in them um, and raised the bar of aspiration that they couldn't achieve it. And I still remember in the early days, an interesting discussion that took place between a number of students that I just happened to be you know, supervising the corridors. And they were saying, oh, I wonder whether I should go to Oxford, Cambridge or Harvard. And I, and I thought, what, what a great thing to be uh, hearing in the corridors of NCS, uh, the second most deprived borough in London, where typically uh, parents would leave the borough to send their kids to schools in the neighbouring Redbridge. And now you're seeing a reversal of that with uh, parents now making their way back to Newham. It's fantastic. And I can, you know, I have little hairs on my back of my neck just kind of rising, just listening with just to your passion, really, and your vision for for those young people. Tell us a little bit about what an enterprising mindset means to you personally. 
Um, I think for me, it's about the ability to take calculated risks, scan the horizon, come up with a strategic plan to move organizations forward, being resilient in the face of adversity, and that's understanding that you need to make some tough decisions, which are not always popular. Uh, and I think, you know, there's the old adage where you know, a leader, you know, a, a poor leader is one that sees which way the crowd is running and then jumps in front of it and says, follow me. Uh, whereas I think, uh, you know, when you're trying to make organizational change, system change, an enterprising mindset needs to be someone who actually swims against the tide sometimes and has conviction in their belief that it is possible when everyone else around you may doubt, doubt you. So I think that resilience, the adaptability, flexibility, but also sheer belief that what you are doing is going to actually have an impact and, and make a difference. You know, there's a sense there of courage, isn't there, of, of having that sense of belief and knowing or feeling in your bones that, that where you're heading to is, is the right way forward. So do you have any kind of influences that you feel have really contributed to how you now operate in the world. So tell us a little bit more about your own journey. I'm 41 now, so I can look back a, a bit and, and see what the actual crossroads or people in my life that actually shaped the way I think and feel and, and behave. And yes, that's changed over time. But I think like most people, I think our, you know, our parents um, had a massive influence and impact. And my, and my father came from India at the age of 16 to the, to the country to have a better life for himself and his family. He spoke very little English at the time. Um, education wasn't really an option for him, so he had to get to work. But he had the type of character that uh, unfortunately couldn't take orders from other people. And, and, and when you have that kind of uh, personality, uh, the only thing I guess you you'll probably can do is be the boss and run your own business. And that's what he that's what he did. So he set up a manufacturing business and was highly successful until I think about 15, 20 years ago um, when the manufacturing sector started to decline in the UK. He found that his business was no longer successful and he went insolvent. But I, th- I think for me, it was the way he, looking back, the way he dealt with that situation. He's somebody who has supreme belief in his abilities. Even now, he's looking for uh, an opportunity at the age of 78 where he could uh, make some money and set up a business and do something. So when I, when, I, when I look at him and I see the way he conducted himself and the way he behaved, I think that was quite formative in the way that I think about things. He, he had an unrelenting unre- work ethic. He had a belief in his abilities. Even now, he still thinks um, he, he could quite easily set up a business at the age of 78 and make it successful. And, and I, think, I think that role model for me uh, is, uh, is somebody who shaped me. I think the other part is that when the business did go bankrupt or insolvent, the, the way he was able just to deal with it and park it and compartmentalize everything, and it didn't really have an impact on him. He just said, well, that didn't work. Well, let's change direction and find another way. That, for me, was uh, quite an important part. That's such a good observation. We, we, you know, we talk about success, don't we? And we see success in the media and we talk about winners and how people behave. And, and for me, some of my biggest learning is watching people, how they respond to really difficult situations. That's where I've secured quite a lot of my learning. So the fact that your father, how he dealt with the insolvency of the business, do you think that informed your own? I think it was that. I think, um, you know, we have, I have a, uh, you know, my brother and I played semi-professional cricket. My father loved sports. I, I think having a, a sporting mindset and playing competitive sport also forms you. You fail quite a lot in sports, especially in cricket if you're a batter. Um, you have more failures and successes. And it's that constant going back, working on your weaknesses, learning from your failures, understanding that it's a, it's a journey and it's not the end and you need to get better. 
I think that also uh, shaped the way that I think about things and also running educational institutions. Uh, you know, the, the, a common sort of phrase in sports is that you know, don't worry about the results, think about the process. And as long as the, the, you know, you're working on the process and you're improving, the results will take care of itself. And I see that a lot, a lot of young people um, in my school as well, they focus on results so much that they almost become paralyzed in any decisions that they can make because they're worried about the results not being great and what that the impact of that on their university offer, their future. And then it has a significant impact on themselves, their mental well-being, how they perceive themselves. Whereas I was never like that. I just thought to myself, as long as I work hard every day and get better, then the results will take care of themselves. And I guess as a semi-professional cricketer, as, as a batter, there's nowhere to hide, is there? You know, <laughs> you either hit the ball or you don't. How did you think that's really helped you in, in, I guess, owning failure and moving on from failure and learning from it? Has that helped you with your leadership style? Does, do, you, do you feel that you're able to share that? I think if you're going to put yourself out there and take on positions of responsibility and you want to be successful and you want to climb the ladder of success or sports or whatever, you, you have to be in the arena doing it. And being in the arena means that you're going to fail. I never saw failure as a bad thing. I just saw failure as a, an assessment of where I was at that time and what I needed to do was what, what to do to improve. And, and I think being around other really elite sports men and women gives you that perspective. And even when you listen to them talk, uh, they, their, their mental uh, approach to things is completely different from the lay person because it has to be. Because how do you cope with failure in a sporting environment with so much pressure unless you're somebody who can actually take that failure and that pressure and compartmentalize it and see it as an assessment rather than um, a definition of who you are or what you're going to achieve going forward. So I think that constant journey looking to improve is something that uh, I've taken into leadership and also the NCS. And that, that sense of not letting the results of that day, of that game define you, but just as you say, compartmentalising it, using it to inform your next game. Do you think in some ways that has been translated into your leadership at NCS? NCS has been an interesting journey. We set up in 2014. Within the first three months, I had the Director of Children's Services knocking on my door telling me that the local authority had set the school up illegally. And the irony of that as a uh, former solicitor, leading an illegal school is also uh, interesting. But like I said, I, I, I had the... You know, I, I knew what I wanted to achieve and what I wanted to do, and I wasn't going to let anything or anyone um, create an obstacle or create an impediment from helping me do that. I didn't, I didn't need the legal profession to be mediocre or average. I wanted to um, bring together a group of professionals, uh, people who shared a similar vision to me about social mobility and social justice. And I was sick and tired of reading social mobility report after social mobility report talking about how the inequality gap is widening and we're not doing enough. And for me, the the problem was was staring me in the face and I just couldn't see why others couldn't, couldn't see what I was seeing. And for, for me, NCS was just the realisation of a plan I hatched in my in my head when I when I was in the uh, two o'clock in the morning drafting a multi-million pound banking and finance document. I knew what education should be like in, um, in Newham. I knew the type of students that resided here and what they needed. And they needed structure, rigour, aspirations, and they needed adults who weren't going to say to them, well, yes, you come from a disadvantaged background, poor you. So you know, as long as you get to some university and you get some grades, that's that's acceptable. I was going to say, well, these are the cards that, are, that you've been dealt with. I can't change that. But what I can do is give you the opportunities, if you're willing to work, to change your lot, lift yourself and your family up by the bootstrap. And we know that you know education is the antidote to discourage poverty. And um, lots of them are taking up my offer, thankfully. 
I absolutely share that view. I mean, at Young Enterprise, we we passionately believe that meaningful opportunities together with appropriate support to develop that mindset, develop those skills can and do change young people's futures. So I, I share that. I share that passion. Clearly, we're in an extremely challenging environment. I mean, you will be preparing your staff, preparing the young people to go back into NCS. I'm presuming are you going to go back in physically? Well, inset starts uh, tomorrow, actually. Staff are in tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, bank holiday Monday. We have the third day of inset on Tuesday and we have the year 12s, uh, the new year 12 joining us on, on Wednesday. So we are we are planned, ready to go for delivering a full curriculum to our students. And what, can I just ask you a question? So we, we, I hear a lot about the recovery curriculum. What does that mean to you? How, how will you be delivering that? So I think for us, we're in a bit more of a privileged position compared to most schools because we have one-to-one deployment of iPads. So as soon as we went in lockdown on in the end of March, all the teachers continue to deliver their lessons over Microsoft Teams. So our students haven't really missed uh, having a teacher in front of them take them through their, their learning. So our recovery plan is, n- is not as uh, drastic or dramatic as maybe some other schools where students haven't had face-to-face contact with teachers for the last five months. Nevertheless, there's still going to be a need for assessment at the start of the year to see where students are in their learning. There's going to be a need for intervention sessions for catch-up. We've always run a Saturday school um, and we will continue to do that. Uh, where we get uh, undergraduates who are alumni to run some of those classes. Uh, so I, I think we're well placed to uh, support students. I think for us is it's and, and for me in leading this institution is to try to mitigate, if you like, the the language and the the belief amongst adults that yes, that COVID has been a difficult situation, but what we don't want to do is begin to lower the the bar of expectation or make excuses because I think young people can quite quickly latch onto this and then begin to think, okay, it's all right for me not to be doing what I should be doing to get to that. I, I absolutely can see where you're going with that because there is a narrative, isn't there? Quite clearly, you know, young people had their A-level results and their GCSE results and you know, that's been, it's been a really, really difficult time. But I think looking forward ahead, the new academic year, there's, there, there feels like there's a place, I think, to help young people to process what has happened over the summer uh, and over the, over the spring, but not just, not just cope with that uncertainty, challenge and stress, but to learn from it and use it to actually do things differently. Are you going to, are you going to face into that? Are you going to utilize the opportunity to, for them to learn from, from, from the experience? Yeah, I think you know anything they experience in their in their lives should be a learning experience for them, and I think COVID pandemic is is no different. You know, we will use this as, a, as an opportunity to talk about resilience, talk about mindset, talk about you know improvement, talk about teamwork. I'm using it as part of my um, welcome back speech next uh, or tomorrow, in fact, to remind staff about how how far we've come and all the obstacles we've faced, but yet as a team collectively we've, we've pulled together and managed to overcome these obstacles so i think everything that you you face in your in your life or your day-to-day interactions uh, is is an experience but I, i'm sure like like me you know working with young people we're constantly astonished and outstanding about how resilient young people are and where we think or we have a view about how they're going to behave or react in a certain way it's usually the opposite i find young people to be extremely resilient strong-minded um, and they have this ability to forge a path for themselves and, and not allow other things to get in the way absolutely uh, and we've certainly seen that haven't we over the over the last couple of weeks just listening to you just going to change just just change tack slightly just listening to you again you know you 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 
are so passionate about what you do. What sustains you at the times where you must have had really difficult times since you set up NCS? What sustains that mindset? Well, I think there's that moral imperative, isn't there? Uh, Especially when you work in education, you know that if you give up on these young people, then their opportunities are are limited. And also, I think I, I believe strongly in vision. It's I set this book up in 2014. It's almost an extension of myself, so sad to say. I talk, live, breathe NCS, and, and I think my family is sick to death of it. You know, my wife is constantly <laughs> constantly uh, telling me off having nothing else in my life apart from the NCS. I, I do hope it is slightly different, and it's not exactly like that. But, you know, I can see how it might come across. When you, when you work with young people and you see the impact that your work can have on their lives, it's so hard just to treat it as a, a job that you come in and you leave at the door and you go home. And and for for, the, for everyone listening today, clearly, you know, the, the results are fantastic. Young people are, are, are gaining opportunities that they would never have gained, was it not for the support and leadership of yourself and your, and your team. Do you do work with them around mindset? Well, I don't think you can deliver the academic results unless you have, um, unless you do some work on mindset as well. I think um, it's going back to that, the idea that we talked about earlier about process and understanding that it's a journey and you, what you want to be doing is putting yourself in the mix with talented people who are better than you so you can improve and grow and it's not a competition between you and others but it's a competition with yourself how good can you actually be and I think that uh, again stems from my sporting background so we do lots of things on you know growth mindset we've done um, you know resilience we talk about talk about like assembly teachers are are trained in, in, in mindset and um, use it in, in lessons. Uh, we have we have a, a resident coach. Her role is to coach students and staff, um, and students can book sessions. And if we have students who we are concerned about uh, academically, first thing is usually to book an appointment with, with um, our NCS coach, because sometimes it's not about ability, it's about how they see themselves and unlocking that potential and uh, and, uh, and having a good coaching session. So I think, yeah, coaching forms quite an important part of the of the school curriculum. It feels just listening to you there that you you are really helping young people to to change their mindset. So using the environment to help them grow. So using the fact that they're perhaps in a different environment, they should be using that to to help them continue to improve. That's that's a that really is a growth mindset view, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think. I think there's two parts. You know, I, we're painting a, a very rosy picture of how the NCS is and uh, how everyone flourishes and everyone does well. But the reality is, over two years, and even students that may leave the NCS at that time may feel that it was a, a grueling process because it's it's hard work. We expect a lot from them. But what, what I'm hoping is, whilst at the time they may not see the benefits of being in a school like that, apart from you know, the grades in the university, I think like most of us, when we look back on our lives and we think. Okay, that teacher or that institution was difficult and tough on me, but really it was quite formative and they had my best interest and the fact that they did that now puts me on the path of where I am. And I think a lot of the things that I see is, again, formed by my experience at, at the city law firm. And I always felt, well, I wish my, I wish my teachers actually told me it was going to be like this. And I, and I think that candid, that candid, honest conversation with young people about what life is really like and how competitive it can be, especially if you want to enter these professions. And what three takeaways that you've learned on your journey that you wish someone had shared with you? Uh, a couple of things. One is you can't please all people, and trying to do so is a mugs game. I think you need to have conviction in your belief, stick with it, and forge that path going forward. I think be- being content with uncertainty, one of the things that I've realised, especially the COVID pandemic has even brought it home even 
even more this year, is that in leadership, uncertainty is part and parcel of the job. And I think the quicker you can uh, be comfortable with that, I think you can can be a better leader and be be more confident in the way that you are able to to lead people. And I think the other part is not having all the answers. I, I, I think in my earlier days, I almost felt it. I felt as though if I couldn't answer all the questions or if I couldn't have solutions to everything, then people are going to think I'm a bit of a fraud. And I think as I've got older, I've realized that I don't think people expect me to have all the answers all the time. Uh, I think for me, it's about bringing people together who and acknowledging people's skill set and expertise and collectively trying to find solutions to, the, to, our, to our problems. And I've become more comfortable with that. And I think the other thing is um, learning to forgive and overlook people's faults. What may appear to be a people problem is usually a situation problem. I remember probably in my leadership early on, I would blame people for certain things. And I think that was quite naive and immature. But as I've got older, I realized that actually, if you don't like the way certain things are happening, it's probably not a people issue. It's the way that you've set up the situation. And if you change the situation, people will react differently and then you solve your problem. You talk about being content to lead with uncertainty and that leadership in an uncertain uh, environment. How would you describe that in action? What is it you do? How do you lead within an, an uncertain environment? Well, I think the, the, the first thing is to recognise, like I said, to, that you don't, you don't have all the answers and you're going to be making decisions with limited information. And I think clarity of communication with the people that you lead is, is key. So the COVID situation is a classic example. No, no one honestly expected that I would be able to stand up in front of them and give them all the answers all the time. And especially with the government releasing guidance at the 11th hour, changing it four, five, seven, ten times potentially in two days, it was a really difficult situation. And as long as I, I think, as long as I communicated with uh, with the people that I led, I think they were happy with that. But I think there's a, you know this uncertainty part is part of a bigger picture because prior to that. All the work that you've done as a, as, a, as a leader in developing strong relationships, building trust with your team, delivering results, tapping into the professional and intellectual capital of, of the people that you lead, gives you that credibility with them. And, and, I, and I'm more comfortable and confident to say at this point, I just don't know, but I will try my best to find the answer. And I almost seem as though people are happy with that, as long as they know that you're sincere and authentic. Because you've already built the currency over a long period. Yeah, and I think they think that, and, and they know that you're authentic about what you're saying, um, and you're honest and truthful with them. People are forgiving when uh, of their leaders when you are honest. I think what happens is when you try to blag and you try to come across that you know that people see through that. Lucin, it's been an absolute privilege to to interview you today. My last question for you is: is what's next? Yeah, at the start of 2014. I, my, my aims were to send maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 kids to Oxbridge, uh, lots to Russell Group universities, one or two to the Ivy Leagues. So we've done that within the first two or three years. <laughs> we, sent, we sent double the number of kids to Oxbridge than I anticipated. I want to see a school or a sixth form that supports young people, not just into the universities, but into the world of work. And I want to see the young people that I educate sitting at the decision-making table of some of the most high-profile companies in this country. It's going to take more than just sending them to university. And I think our model needs to now change and be dynamic and adaptable to working with organisations and companies to say, if you have an NCS student, then how can we work together to help them get to the decision-making table? Because we know what they need. You've obviously spotted some talent. This is a safe space for them. Well, maybe we can put on initiatives throughout their career that can allow them to get to that position. Lucin, 
Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real honour. Enterprising Mindset Podcast is part of a series from Young Enterprise. To listen to more, please subscribe to us in your usual podcasting services. Thank you for listening.